to Ghoulish Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators. And every other week, we delve into the depths of the famous and not so famous cases of murder, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Debunking. Scullying with a C. Scullying with a C. <laughs> It's how we roll. How we always roll. Uh-huh. And that that's what I think my favorite part of our episodes is when we find something to scully and we're like, yes, <laughs> we've ruined everyone's dreams and hopes, and it's fake. Did did I ever tell you the time that I had a parent accuse me of crushing their child's spirit? And I was just like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I mean, no, but. I'm not surprised. Mm. <laughs> it's in a letter. I have Very a letter somewhere. on brand. We should post it to our Instagram. It's hysterical. Oh, that would be amazing. Send it to me. I'll post it. <laughs> Putting it on my business card. Oh, that's how Crush you know your you're spirits. successful at what you're doing is that people give you a review and then you put it on your uh, business card. <laughs> Anywho, Anywho, we have a, a fun story for y'all today. I don't know why I said y'all. I'm not from the South. Um, however, California. Is that I am from. Southern California without the y'alls. I just say the in front of every single freeway and people think I'm weird. Like, whatever. Yep, that one. That's it. Anywho, uh, we have a pretty awesome episode. Speaking of Southern California, this episode actually takes place in Southern California. That's right. And uh, the topic for today is one that actually I'm going to give a shout out to my good friend, Nicole Namer who asked me initially if I had heard of this topic, which I hadn't. And this episode, I'm going to dedicate to her. And I'm going to start us off by saying that as the LA Times once said, Hollywood legends never die. They just become ghosts. Mm -hmm. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about a location that housed and supposedly still houses a Hollywood legend, and many other names of the Hollywood golden age, but also holds some dark secrets within its walls. Ooh. And those walls are that of the falcon layer. Ooh. Oh, I, this is a really cool story. (laughs) It is a really cool story. (laughs) And it actually, what I really enjoy about this one is that it doesn't ever seem to stop. I feel yeah. like there's more information the more and more you dig. Mm-hmm. But what you really see if you look up anything about the Falcon Lair is the name of Rudolph Valentino. Mm-hmm. And in the 1920s, Rudolph Valentino was the seductive sex symbol of early Hollywood. And a young girl. Well, I will say, I mean... Yeah, and we'll post some pictures of him to mm-hmm. our Instagram. He was a babe. He I, he's very striking. Striking is what I was think when I see him because uh, he has a very period face, like of the time. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a very striking man. He was as pretty as he was. He had his own set of issues. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, the pretty uh, always do. <laughs> you know, he actually isolated himself behind the walls of his home, the Falcon Lair, until mm-hmm. his flame was snuffed out by his own self-destruction. Yeah. So the Falcon Lair seems to have had a pretty dark history and has had a plethora of visitors, tenants, and owners over the years. And it's kind of nuts to see how many people have actually stayed there. since it was built and the fabulously rich heiress doris duke was one of its owners her Mm -hmm. entire life had been spent behind gates bodyguards bulletproof glass Mm -hmm. she actually spent her final year in the castle on a hill in a twilight prison of her own making and the falcon lair is literal proof that all that glitters may not necessarily be gold So though the original Falcon Lair has since been demolished in 2006, it has been associated with the paranormal and has had some pretty incredible stories. So first, let's go back to its beginnings with our friend Rudy, Rudolph Valentino. So his name is going to go into the book of Kim's names because (gasps) his full name, I don't know if you're ready for it. I'm going to butcher it even though I'm Italian and I should be getting this right. So his name... Fully 
Mm-hmm. Rodolfo, Alfonso, Raffaello, Pierre, Philibert, Guglielmi, Di Valentina, De Anton Gula. I butchered that last one. Uh, that's a lot of names. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight names as his name. But he cut it down to Rudolph Valentino and his friends cut it down to Rudy. So we're going to call him Rudy for this episode. <laughs> I mean, I get it though. Like, like that's a mouthful. It's definitely a mouthful. That's what she said. Yeah, she sure did hurt her. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rudy was an Italian immigrant. He actually was processed at Ellis Island when he was 18 on Mm. December 23rd in 1913. Mm -hmm. Fun fact, he never filed the necessary papers for naturalization. And so he actually retained his Italian citizenship. Nice. And he went through a a lot of different challenges living in New York for a while, ended up in Hollywood, really wanted to be involved in entertainment. And he started by uh, playing small parts in small movies. Yeah, he was an actor. Yeah, and he uh, impulsively, before he got big, impulsively married his first wife, actress Jean Acker, in 1919. (laughs) So between 1920 and 1925 is when he really skyrocketed as an actor. He was considered the quote-unquote the great lover. And he was... Swoonworthy. Ooh. Ooh, girl. He was a superstar of the flapper generation. I'm sorry. Did you say flopper or flapper? Flapper. Oh, flopper would be a whole other kind of movie. Yeah, that's a different topic. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. Nope. But I will tell you some of the movies he did star in. He did a lot of silent films. And he starred in The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, which is, by the way, such a great name. Oh, yeah. No, I've... I've... (laughs) I feel like I've seen that. You probably have. <laughs> that sounds like I think I did that for 100 Days of Horror one year or something. I wouldn't be surprised. Eh. But he's really well known for the Sheik, uh-huh. the son of the Sheik. Mm. I see a theme. Mm. Blood and Sand and The Eagle. And so those are just a handful of movies that he was in. And he was like the legit heartthrob of his time, like the Brad Pitt from Legends of the Fall circa 1923. Uh, And he stated that, quote, women are not in love with me, but with the picture of me on the screen, he sighed. I am merely the canvas on which women paint their dreams. Okay. Okay, bro. So apparently he wasn't just a romantic on screen, but maybe when he was trying to get a little bit of action in a can in the front of the camera and, uh, you know, behind the camera. To say that? I don't know. I, you know, it's all about when and the context, right? I guess that, that to me is a little more whiny, but whatever. I'm, I'm picky. It's, it sounds like he's like whiny, but also kind of in love with himself too. Yeah, that's um, attractive. <laughs> no, and he actually, he was a little bit more than just a heartthrob in real life. So uh-huh. he was a highly intelligent and cultured man. He uh-huh. was fluent in five languages. Ooh. He was an art lover. Uh-huh. He loved a good book. He was a voracious reader, uh-huh. a boxer, and an equestrian. And he owned a few horses too. And yeah. in 1923, he met and married his second wife, okay. Natasha Rambova, who you may have heard of. She was a costume and set designer. Her actual real name goes in the book of Kim's favorite names. <laughs> was Winifred Shognessy. 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 Shognessy? Shognessy. S-H-A-U-G-H-N-E-S-S-Y. Shognessy. Um, so together they Shaughnessy? actually... Shaughnessy? Shaughnessy? <laughs> I'm sorry. That makes so much more sense. <laughs> so her real name was... <laughs> I'm going to help Gabby out. Uh, her real name was Winifred Kimball Shaughnessy. Kimball. Nice. Yeah, that, was, had, that was... That's like name inception with your name. That's true. You know? Uh-huh. And... um. Fun fact, if you didn't know this, you know, we love a good American Horror Story reference. And uh, both of their characters were played in American Horror Story Hotel uh, by Alexandra Daddario and Finn Wittrock. And they actually uh, 
played the vampires that turned Lady Gaga into a vampire. Spoiler alert. Character. If you haven't seen American Horror Story Hotel by now, you're welcome because you should have. So there's that. Anyway, I always love how American Horror Story takes like actual people and uses them as references in their writing, even though clearly in real life they were not vampires, but they just use it as inspiration. They weren't. Oh, man. So here's a really good example of how we ruin your dreams. Um, but you know, anywho, so they were real people and together they actually hoped that Valentino would break away from his quote unquote exotic lover image and create real art. Define that. I don't know what that means. Um, they actually put together an idea of a film calling it the hooded Falcon. That kind of sounds like a sex movie. I'm not going to lie. I I mean, But apparently it was based on the life of the 11th century Spanish hero, Rodrigo Diaz, also known as El Cid. Sure. Not as exciting as we had hoped. That's lit. That's a little bit deflating, pun intended. Um, But apparently they were actually too excited in visualizing their film to evaluate finances because they imported six Falcons in 86 period costumes before they had even secured any kind of funding. I'm sorry, they imported falcons in period costumes because that I would pay a lot of money to see. That would be so cool. It'd be so cute. Little tiny doorbell. Little tiny like little tiny top hats, little tiny muscles. Would they take a feather of a falcon and put it in a hat on a falcon so that the hat would have a feather of a falcon on it? Isn't that like a step away from cannibalism? I don't know. Is that weird? Is that like wearing your own hair? Wearing it, maybe. Would would you wear your own hair? Would you make hair jewelry? I get a weave from time to time and that's wearing somebody else's hair. Yeah, so I feel like that's a hard thing to reference. I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to ask the people at home to weigh in on this. Would you wear, <laughs> if you were a falcon, this is very important. <laughs> if you were a falcon, would you wear, and is it your own feather or is it a feather from somebody else? Like, we don't so know. I wasn't so specific. many questions, Gabby. I know. I have okay, questions. I know you have questions, but I don't have answers to that specifically. So apparently they were too excited, though, you know, about this film. They needed all those falcons. And technically, no, the falcons were not in period clothing. The period clothing disappointing. was people. I'm sorry to disappoint. Disappointing. Um, but another great thing to do before evaluating money, buying a house, moving, <laughs> you know, really great thing to do. Uh, so they actually were planning on moving their cozy home in Whitley Heights uh-huh. uh, to a secluded estate. In the newly fashionable rural community of Beverly Hills. The rural Beverly Hills. Hey, I at the time, that 1920s, that's in Oh, I know. I, that's why I love that statement. It's, it's, it's catchy. Right? So, and technically it wasn't Beverly Hills. Like now, if you look at it, it's not Beverly Hills. It's like the Hollywood Hills. Um, but at the time, it was called Beverly Hills. This is when the sign still said Hollywood Lands. It's, that's correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So in 1925 was when Rudy actually purchased the new home. And of course, he had to name it the Falcon Lair <laughs> in honor of the future film. And... That film actually never got made. So did, we still have a house. Did he dress the house in period clothing with a top hat with a falcon feather in it? Internally, yes. <sighs> externally, no. But externally, I can tell you what the house looked like. So, right. and actually, by the way, guess how much he bought the house for? $2. $175,000. Damn! Which actually, that's... In 1925. So right. now that equivalent would be basically $2.5 million. What? Oh, inflation. So according to a biographer of Valentino named Emily W. Leader, the home was a two-story Spanish-style villa with 16 rooms, and it was located at 2 Bella Drive. Fun fact not far from where Sharon Tate lived. That's right. Just around the corner. Yeah. And it had stucco walls, a red tile roof, hardwood and travertine floors, grand fireplaces. I love me a good grand fireplace, Hmm. wood beamed ceilings. And 
initially it was built in 1923 okay. on an eight acre lot. And this lot was big enough to accommodate stables for Rudy's horses. And they had a lot of dogs. So he also needed kennels for all his dogs. Mm. Apparently he also had a multi-car garage and there were also servants quarters on this land. So wow, bougie. So their nearest neighbors were Francis Marion, Harold Lloyd, Mary Pickford, and Buster Keaton. So again, wow, bougie. Yeah. So apparently Natasha actually never had a chance to move into the house. Um, their marriage wasn't as dreamy as they had hoped. She apparently allegedly had meddled too much in filmmaking, according to studio bigwigs, uh, probably because she was a woman and wanted oh. to have a voice and nobody liked that. I'm How just, dare she? How dare God forbid. And she was eventually pushed out of the Falcon film, which uh-huh. led to her distancing from her husband and the marriage in general. So yeah. that wasn't looking so hot. Right. Apparently, Rudy was way too self-involved, didn't seem to care that much at that time. He was seen parting into like the wee hours of the morning at the hot Hollywood spots. Somehow he was maintaining like a good, hardworking, courteous reputation while doing all this stuff on set. And at the time he was filming The Son of the Sheik. Mm-hmm. He apparently had a really bad pain in his side though, and he ignored it. Probably should have addressed it, but hey, partying calls and alcohol probably temporarily muted his physical and emotional pain. So, eh, you know, I mean, I get it about it, but he didn't know what was wrong with him is the point. He just had this severe pain in his side. So he continued to fix up the Falcon layer, spending, quote, lavishly for the things which interest him. Horses, dogs, ancient swords, and firearms, antique furniture, amen, historical armor, and first editions of rare books. Nice. And that's according to the LA Times in 1926. Okay. And he officially had moved into the Falcon Lair without Natasha at this point. Hmm. Clearly, they had some issues, but they were not being addressed. Although they shared many interests, such as art, poetry, and actual spiritualism. Mm. Ah, spiritualism. Take a shot. His colleagues felt that Natasha exercised too much control over his work and blamed her for several expensive career flops. That sucks, man. I feel bad for Natasha. I'm just, I get sick of in general. It's always, you know, Yoko did it. It's the wife's fault. Yeah. Boring. So without her in the home, the home became a quote-unquote extravagant man cave of a romantic man desperate to assert his own identity, end quote. Uh, That's going to end well. Yep. You know, it's a good foreshadowing. And he stated that, quote, three or four years ago, I would not have dared to do rooms like this, but lately I am doing things more to suit my own tastes. The location is just what I wanted. The name is one I selected myself. The living room furnishings are red because it is the color I prefer above all colors. Okay, Rudy. That's fair. That's fair. You know, if you like it, do it. I'm not mad. So Rudy was not happy, even though he tried to make himself happy. And H.L. Mencken stated that, quote, he was precisely as happy as a small boy being kissed by 200 fat ants. <laughs> what I love about that is the visual. I, I know. Yeah, and I know exactly what they're trying to say. That, Like, I'm like, no, I get it. Nope. That, Don't that makes me. utter yep. sense. Yep. Totally. Nope. Get it. Yes. So being in the state that he was in, he made a half-hearted attempt at suicide. He Uh, ate, he drank, he excessively smoked. He realized the pain in his stomach was getting worse. And he used more and more bicarbonate of soda to mm. ease the pain in his stomach. Uh, Mm. At this time, he still hadn't seen a doctor. Mm. Um, but he was also at this point exhausted of being a sex symbol and of being mobbed everywhere it is very hard he went. To be a sex symbol, he's so pretty. Everyone just wants him. It's the bane of my existence. I just mm. think of like Leo, circa 1998, and like nah, Leo never did it for me. Oh, you know my old screen name was I Love Leo five four three at AOL dot com. I know, saying. and we managed to still be friends, but it's okay. It's because of Romeo and Juliet, man. Anywho, yeah. I just am sympathizing with the sex symbol aspect of being even where he went. Even then, I knew that was bad Shakespeare. I don't know. It's, you know, it's fine. You can have your opinion. I won't judge you. But <laughs> apparently, 
Apparently, Rudy Ooh. was being derided by men as an effeminate powder puff. And that just <sighs> really rubbed him the wrong way. Well, I mean, that is kind of insulting. It is super insulting. But I mean, especially back then, it was probably not that could be as bad of a thing to say. But also, if you make someone no. look bad in that way, well, it could... The the accusation there, I mean, it, it, correct me if I'm misinterpreting, it sounds like they're accusing of being gay. Yeah, no, you're right. So that could be career-ending in that time. It could be. And that's I mean, probably like, also why he you, was upset. You, you look at, like, all of these heartthrobs from that time period who were gay and who had to... Pretend. Hide it and marry yeah. women and actively hide it because, I mean, men who still do that, women who still yeah. do that, but, like, that could completely destroy his career well he didn't need that to destroy his career because he did it himself <laughs> he did it himself and he actually moved on from natasha to pola negri in 1925 and she was also an actress and he had a wild romance with her apparently mm-hmm. though he always felt as though he was doomed and after he experienced a quote-unquote emergency after returning from europe which I was not able to determine what that emergency was. I just heard that there was an emergency. He was pregnant. Possibly. Who knows? It could be a junior situation. There you go. Rudy requested to build a retaining wall around the home. So he wanted like hmm. extra protection. Extra protection. And pretension. And pretension. He didn't need the pretension. He already had that. Just needed he more protection. He had yes. Um, so in doing so, he actually talked to the construction supervisor and asked him, quote, do you think you can make it look like a fort? Sure. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. There's so many good little quotes in this one that I just had to include because they're funny. <laughs> um, so he also stated at one point that he felt like something was haunting him. And during a relentless rainstorm, Rudy was awakened by an ominous rapping from the walls and floors. Who's there? Hello, it's me. I'm Rudy. Oh, hi. The pillars that held up the front of the gate were collapsing. And apparently the shale under the foundation had fractured. So the house was starting to slip down the hill. And that's probably what was causing some of those sounds. But Rudy apparently said, quote, probably it won't be long before the house comes falling down on me. And sure. Okay. (laughs) Sure, Rudy. Rudy also said a man should control his life. Mine is controlling me. So this is a guy with demons. It's sad. He has I mean, some not, demons. Not can, like, you know, demons, but like, like inner. inner. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's like the point is that he clearly had some issues. He yeah. wasn't addressing them. He was drinking heavily and trying to do things to make himself feel better temporarily, mm-hmm. but not really fix anything right. permanently. Yeah. Uh, and seemed to push a lot of people away from him simultaneously. And on August 23rd, 1926, he died in New York at the New York Polyclinic Hospital, and he mm. was about 31 years old. Oh, geez. So the cause of death was peritonitis, which was caused by untreated gastric ulcers and oh, a ruptured geez. appendix. Oh, that's a miserable way to go. So like all those pains in his sides, mm. had he been a doctor at some point, he probably would have lived longer. But unfortunately, he just kept drinking that bicarbonate soda, which doesn't really do much for a ruptured appendix. Uh -uh. Um, And after he died, his death became a media sensation. It was a national event. People were flipping the fuck out. So mourners flooded the streets outside of the funeral home where he was embalmed. Uh. And some distraught fans reportedly committed suicide over it. Oh, jeez. Which is so dramatic and like absolutely awful. Yeah. So his first wife, Jane Acker, wrote a hit song about his passing. Way to capitalize on that. <laughs> that's What do you do when your husband dies? You Ex-husband. write a song about it. Yep. That's, so that's the song... What, that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> the song was called There's a New Star in Heaven Tonight, and it was uh, sung by Rudy Valley. And ironically, and just another Rudy. And <laughs> Pola Negri apparently caused such a scene at his funeral that she ruined her career because he uh there were allegations that she was just showboating during his funeral Mm. and it just made her look bad it's legit legit so it was said that rudy's beloved great dane kabar 
howled for his owner until he dropped Aww. dead of grief. Oh, puppy. That pup. Poor puppy. And this pup comes back from the dead, though, so stay tuned for that. Zombie pup. Well, not like that. He was just a ghost. Oh. It's a ghost Aww. pup. I'll we'll tell you about pup. ghost pup in a bit. So <sighs> due to his extravagant spending, Rudy's estate was in disarray. There was an auction held on December 10th and 11th, right after his death, and it opened up the Falcon Lair to thousands of potential bidders, curious fans, and eager journalists who wanted to know what was going on. It was eventually sold to Jules Howard, who was a New York diamond broker for $145,000 at the time. But apparently, for some unknown reason, he never moved in. He bought it, oh, but never lived there. And Is that what it's like to have money? I only could dream and hope. Um, But Rudy's older brother, Alberto, came to America after Rudy's death so that he could help manage his interests and occasionally lived with his family in the guest house while also making a career as the caretaker of the Falcon Lair. So the house ended up being rented out to several different tenants, most short-termed, and this is where the odd stories start to come about. Neighbors reported seeing, quote, the flashing of eerie lights and a Ah. ghost-like figure moving about in the dead of night. Thus, the rumors began and continue. Valentino supposedly haunts his Beverly Hills mansion (gasps) and much like his tomb at Hollywood Forever. I love Hollywood Forever. Such a good cemetery. But the Falcon Lair became a, quote, unquote, mecca for sightseers. So it started to bring people in. Even the ghost of his beloved Great Dane, Kabar, who died three years after his master, has been known to lick the hands of those who pass his grave at the L.A. Pet Memorial Park in Calabasas, which I'm from right around Calabasas, and I've never been there. And now whenever I can travel and go home, I really want to go to the L.A. Pet Memorial Park and try to find Kabar. All I can think is that urban legend where the girl like has the dog and she goes to, she goes in her room, goes in her bed and she put her hand down and the dog licks her hand. And then the next day she realized it was that the person writes like people can lick too. Yeah. That's (laughs) so creepy. That's what it's making me think of. People can lick too. Technically speaking, there's no way of deciphering. So maybe it is a person licking their hand. I mean, if I was a person who really wanted to lick people's hands, I would totally set up as some kind of like ghost dog as a cover. I'm just saying. I mean, you would definitely fool people. Clearly, I you fooled these people, and that's why we're talking about it. So exactly. there's that. So Rudy gets around even in his afterlife. So his ghost also supposedly has appeared at a vintage Hollywood apartment complex named Valentino Place that was the site of a speakeasy that he had frequented when he was alive. And other locations where his ghost has been spotted include a beach house in Oxnard that was his home during the filming of The Sheik, which I think is very funny that The Sheik was filmed in Oxnard, having been from Southern California. Oxnard is nothing to write home about, no offense. Uh, Also, a room at the Santa Maria Inn on the Central Coast and the Knickerbocker Hotel in Hollywood, which has its own plethora of haunted stories. Nice. Valentino is actually buried in Hollywood forever in a crypt. I know I mentioned that briefly. Uh And his ghost supposedly has been spotted next door at Paramount. Mm -hmm. That's where all the movies are shot. My mom actually worked at Paramount Studios for a bit and I know exactly where that is. Um, And he actually used to work there and that's why his ghost is seen there apparently. According to reports by security guards and other people on the lot, he visits the studio dressed all in white in his chic costume, which I feel like that's such a typical... It's we talked about this on our last episode of like yeah. if you know what someone looks like and there's a story associated with them and you see a ghost and you think it's that person because you don't know any stories of any other ghosts that might be in that area. Right. You think it's them. So well, and I know I feel like you don't even have to necessarily know what someone looks like. You you know it. that it's a male and you're like, oh, that's a man. It's gotta be this guy. Like I feel like people aren't even giving shouldn't even give him that much credit, you know. Of course, the main place where Valentino haunts isn't all these other locations. Oh, that's good. That must but be exhausting as a ghost to have to travel know, he's, that much. He gets around, <laughs> like I said, you know, in the... Girl gets around. Oh, sorry. 
You know, it's true. Girl gets yeah. around. Girl gets so, around. Ghost gets around. Ghost gets around. He Ghost is ever around. present at the Falcon Lair. So according to his ex-wife, Natasha Rambova, mm-hmm. she maintained that she was still in contact with him in the afterlife because mm-hmm. she was so heavy into spiritualism. Right. And apparently Valentino refused to believe that he was dead. So That's he awkward. wouldn't leave his house. He would stay at the Falcon Lair and he would visit the corridors. He would be in his bedroom. He'd go to the stables, like as though he was still alive. That makes for such an awkward conversation if you're the new person moving in. Because you got to be like, dude, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to be able to tell you this, but like, you totally died, man. And, I feel and like I... Natasha tried. Like, she probably tried to tell him. She's like, honey, honey, you got to, like, brah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, you got to move on. This isn't your home anymore. And now it's just awkward because you're that guy. It Don't got... be that guy. He got to be that guy. And it was even worse because one caretaker ended up running down the canyon in the middle of the night. Valentino and was fully freaked out. Because he's also that guy in a chic costume and no one should be that guy. To be specific, you said chic, not sheet. (laughs) I said chic with a k at the end. Like a a k, not a c. That's a whole other joke we don't need to get into. Oh, no. Okay. So in 1928, a magazine reporter was actually assigned to do a story on the house. And she was assigned to spend the night in Valentino's bedroom after hearing the lore of the haunting. And after her stay, she submitted a story of her experience. And I wanted to read you part of her story. Okay. Quote, now I am neither a scoffer nor a believer. What is beyond the grave is something no living soul has fathomed. Whether a departed soul can return to communicate with those not yet departed has never been proved, Scully, so far as I know to a point of certainty. Toward morning, as I was awakened, I felt as though someone had entered the room above me. I looked up. Could I be dreaming? On the stairway was a shadow. I rose, approached. It disappeared. I sat down again. Once more, the shadow appeared. End quote. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And this was published, which I thought was so interesting. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. And then in 1930, Harry Carey, if you don't know who he is, was... He was a veteran Western actor and Uh he, his wife and two young children rented the Falcon Lair. The house had been empty for years before he had moved in and there was some weird stuff going on, some shady shit. So I have some really great quotes for you. A lot of this is referenced in the LA Times in 1930. So that's where a lot of this information came from, as well as an article from KCET, actually. And I'll put all the references in the show notes on our uh, website. But, quote, our friends insisted to us the house was haunted and advised against moving in, he explained. But the stables were too good to pass up. You know, I still have my horse. So we moved in anyway. End quote. I would. Right? <laughs> it's too, too good to pass up. So early in up. the family's stay, they heard odd sounds at night, like windows banging, tapping noises, and odd creaks in the floorboards. And at one point, they saw strange lights throughout the home that they couldn't explain. So, Carrie decided to do some literal and figurative digging to debunk the weird occurrences. He wanted Mm. to pull a full scully. So, Mm. that's fair. He digs around. He Uh ends up finding bats in the basement, overgrown trees and shrubs, and broken window panes. And most impressively, this is a quote, he found a maze of electrical wires that surrounded a chimney. They were spied behind a built-in bookcase and that finally led to a bedroom below and thence to a hither unknown compartment beneath the house where there was a large box that once probably held some tricky electrical device. The terminals of all this strange wiring still hanging above it. Carrie started to satisfy himself what it was all about. Here is what he discovered from, he says, an unimpeachable source. There was once a caretaker hired to watch the property. He was a spiritualist and had a following. They held seances in the bedroom where two sets of terminals were found. During these seances, the spirit of Valentino, garbed in his chic raiment, was made to appear from a huge cabinet. This was all done at night. The illusion was said to be perfect. The wires were used in some manner to aid in the illusion. During the seances, the surroundings were made as mystic 
as was possible. The wires were hooked up so that there came, at intervals, strange tappings throughout the house and on all the windows. Pale blue and green lights mysteriously flashed on and off throughout the house. Hmm. And that's a quote from the LA Times in 1930. So he fully debunked it. Mm-hmm. So he said, nevertheless, there is something strange and spooky about the place, Carrie told the LA Times. In spite of all we found, when our lease expires, we're going back to the wide open spaces of the ranch. <laughs> well, eh. <laughs> Can't blame them. Hashtag scullied, right? Hashtag so, scully. I mean, clearly some people were trying to capitalize on his situation. With right, the, yeah. The rumors of the hauntings and everything. And, and maybe some people made some money off of it. So moving forward to 1934, art dealer... Juan Romero mm-hmm. bought Falcon Lair for only $18,000. So price is going Damn. down. Maybe Damn. it has a bad reputation at this point. People are freaked mm-hmm. out. Right. And apparently he built some sort of outdoor shrine and dedicated it to Valentino. That's awkward. At the same time, there was also a documentation that said that Pola Negri purchased the location of Falcon's Lair at the same year. So I don't know if it was in collaboration with Juan Romero or if it was separate from that. But she said that she wanted to live, quote unquote, together with him in reference to Valentino. Because it was the place that they planned to live after they were married. And Mm -hmm. that first day when she arrived, just as the sun was sinking over the last hill, she stepped through the gate. And he was there to greet me. He was there. He was here, Rudy. His vibrations were everywhere. I could feel him, gay and charming, telling us not to be sad, not to mourn, not to grieve. That was a quote if you didn't care. Well, that was good of him. Right? And apparently, this is a quote from Pola Negri. We were both very interested in spiritualism. We used to use the Ouija board and we would get these amazing results together. Yes, there is something magnificent, something very much in the grand manner about this woman who will love Rudolph Valentino for as long as there is time. And she said that about herself, which I thought was funny. But apparently seances, as you know, were a thing and they continued to be a thing and they continued to be held at the mansion and they would do it on his anniversary of his birthday and the Mm. anniversary of his death. So in May for his birthday and August for his death. And in 1946, the house was actually purchased by the fabulously rich Mrs. Gerald Gypsy Buys of San Francisco, who was said to be a Valentino fanatic. And she Mm -hmm. actually owned a drawer full of jewels for each day of the week, which I thought was so great. A drawer full of jewels? For every day. Get a different jewel every day. Every day. I almost imagine it like the pillboxes of Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but with like jewels. But jewelry. (laughs) What's that like? Must be nice to be rich. I feel like that should be our secondary hashtag for this episode. Must be nice to be rich or even middle class. (laughs) Or just be able to afford a house or pay your rent. Hashtag COVID sucks. Hashtag COVID sucks. Moving on. So on Valentino's birthday, which was May 6th, in 1948, 30 mediums attempted to confer with Valentino at the mansion. So it was like a medium party. I wouldn't say it was a, you know, small or large. I would have called it a medium party. And uh, according to an article in the LA Times in 1948, quote, the psychics were seated in a circle, called on Valentino to make his presence known. He responded, they claimed, with various manifestations felt mostly within the spiritualists themselves. Huh, isn't that interesting? One saw him appear at a window, while several of the others believed that they received spoken messages from the screen lover saying, quote, this is Rudolph. You are in my house. I am your host. Please be my guests. The guest of honor was the venerable Lokanatha, Buddhist missionary, who, his golden robe clutched tightly around him, sat impassively through the ceremony. A score of newsmen present confessed that they failed to see any spiritual manifestations. So there were other manifestations claimed. Apparently, there was a loud tap on the window, and they freaked out because the the candle on his birthday cake flickered, which I thought was funny. Or drafty. You know, if your window is open, you can always get a little candle. Unless you're all wearing masks and then nothing's happening. They weren't wearing masks. Are you sure? Pretty sure this was not the flu of 1918 and it was not quarantine of 2020. So, you know. So at a subsequent seance, a man named Rudolph Florentino, not Rudolph Valentino, 
dressed up as Valentino in order to, quote, persuade the film idol to return to his earthly residence. So I guess he tried to make it like a trigger item, basically. Oh, yeah. Physically was the trigger item. Yeah. That's so that was that was documented in 1949. And then that was with the LA Times. And then also in 1949, the house was purchased again. Five wealthy women referred to themselves only as the group or the syndicate, which I love. Okay, I want to be a part of this. How do I join? Who do I call? What do I need to do? Wait till you hear more. I can't wait to tell you about this. This was the one thing I was so excited to tell Kim about. Okay, so they actually made all of these innovative and extravagant plans for the house because they wanted to make it a sanctuary for loveless women from all over the world who could come and live with Valentino's ghost if it truly is there. I kind of wanted on it. <laughs> it sounds fun. Also, I bet these women are delightful. Um, it was also called the Lair for Loveless Women. So that was great. <laughs> that was my nickname in high school. <laughs> New Instagram name. New um, Instagram name. Called it. Yep, there it is. So the Sydney Morning Herald on February 13th, 1949 article spoke of, quote, plans that were being made for a meditation sanctum where Ooh. these lovelorn women could worship the actor's memory with a wishing well for the loveless. I'm sorry, a wishing well? They had a wishing well. And there would be, quote, private showings after Vespers of Valentino's most famous film, The Sheik. Their attorney said that, quote, for tens of thousands of lovelorn women, the only inspiration in life is the worship of Valentino's memory, end quote. Oh, buddies. You but um, this is my favorite part is that um, some of their hopes were kind of deflated because they discovered that the pennies that people were throwing into the wishing well were killing the goldfish in the wishing well. Oh, <laughs> which I think is funny, but also is sad. Um, but after that, the rest of the plans were not executed. And Millicent Rogers ended up buying the house right after this in 1949. However, she only spent one night in the house before being chased out by a supposed ghost. So there's that too. You know, I have to say, I've been a paranormal investigator now for a while and I've um, managed to avoid being chased out by a ghost. Not that it doesn't happen, but also, you are also very brave. I will say that. Am I? I think you are. Okay. I, I mean, I guess when I think, I think it's because saying chased out by a ghost makes me think like the ghost, like Scooby Doo, like, you know, this, oh, fully, you know, and so I, I think maybe that's just it. That, that when I hear something like chased out by a ghost, I get this really strong visual of what's happening and it's amusing well haven't you ever been in a space where you felt like it's been really negative or like you just don't want to be in that space anymore I mean I I've definitely I've definitely been on investigations and been in spaces where I felt like there was a very negative energy I mean it's happened occasionally even on on our tours but that doesn't mean you leave that's when things are getting good that's true, but that's for someone who likes this kind of stuff. Imagine if you're like someone who doesn't like this kind of stuff and doesn't want to see what's going to happen. Fair. Just trying guess, to play devil's advocate. No, no, no. I, it's, it's, I think it's, again, I think it's very specifically the visual I get when I hear chased out. <laughs> I think there's something literally chasing and not just that something scary happened that freaked you out. Because I, I do know... Not even just from, yes, homes I've been in to investigate where people are very, very scared. Mm -hmm. um, I can appreciate that sometimes the idea of being haunted is really scary to somebody where to me it's titillating. Uh, what is, fuck, come on. Like, just the word choice was... Titillating? Yes, that made me Good laugh. Good word. People don't use them. Great word. Fantastic. Word, word of the day. <laughs> word of the day. Uh, but no, sorry. I did not mean to interrupt. I just, no, okay. the idea of the chase I find really amusing, but, but you're right. It, it is probably the context of something startled them or something scared right. them and they left a home and that is completely legitimate. And I don't mean to minimize or mock somebody being afraid of a space. Cause that's not being kind. And, and that's true. Um, well, I yeah, think anyway, you know, acknowledging it is the best way to start. So I think you're on the right track. Acknowledging that sometimes I'm a dick. 
Yeah, that's how you okay. acknowledge the dick. You acknowledge and then you move forward. Speaking of which, uh, moving forward, uh, mm-hmm. Robert Balzar was the next owner of the house. And he was a renowned wine critic. So you would have been very tight with Mr. Robert Balzar. <laughs> you guys could have talked about wine all day. But in 1953, Gloria Swanson, an actor. Gloria Swanson, whoa. Yep. If you ah. she was friends with Robert Balzar. Mm. And so she would hang out at the house with him. And she ended up inviting Doris Duke to okay. the house. Doris Duke was a six foot one tobacco heiress. Nice. And she was considered to be, quote, the richest girl in the world. She was quite the eccentric, but apparently never had a quote unquote real friend. I would assume because she had much money and she was kind of weird. And so people only were her friends because they wanted money or wanted something from her. And, you know, I'm sure it was hard to make a good friend in that environment too. So, you know, she gets invited to this great house by Gloria Swanson to have some tea, of course, she's going to say yes. And she actually had been hanging out in LA quite a bit at that time. She started a new romance with Macombo band leader, Joey Castro, but he was a pretty shitty dude. And I mean, understanding that she had a hard time finding a real friend, it's not surprising that she would be dating a shitty dude. But when she visited the Falcon Lair, she fell in love with it. Ended up buying it from him, from Balzar. Wow. And she owned it until her death in 1993. So she owned it for the longest period of time. So literally from 1953 until 1993. So for 40 years, she owned that place. Wow. And she actually did a full makeover on the Falcon Lair. And the music room was lined with velvet. I appreciate that so much. I love velvet myself. Amen to good taste. Uh, and good to- oh. <clears throat> ma'am, get out of here. The living room ceiling had ostrich feathers. So I might retract my good taste statement. Uh-huh. Um, but maybe the ostriches lived in the house with the feathers. And is that considered like cannibalism? Maybe the ostriches wore little velvet sweaters. And maybe they had a hat with a feather in it. Who knows? So this one was kind of wild. She had a room that was fully installed with Napoleon Bonaparte's original war room. So literally like everything that Napoleon Bonaparte owned, she had so much money that she could make a room for it. Damn. And she had some rad parties and some serious guests at the Falcon Lair, which actually included uh, jam sessions with Duke Ellington which I thought was so cool. Do Okay, I geek out a little about Duke Ellington. Um, that's legit cool. Isn't that awesome? That is legit So cool. they had some good times, but then, mm-hmm. you know, she was still dating this shitty dude, Castro. Dude, he broke her jaw. Like, <gasps> oh, he, they, he was violent toward her. Oh, okay, that's and, not funny. That's yeah, no, it was, it was pretty bad. He was pretty abusive toward her. And she had stayed with them for a while. She continuously locked herself in the bedroom for long periods of time. And she ended up breaking up with him finally. Good. Uh, and she used the Falcon layer basically as a pit stop between her residencies. So she had a home on the East Coast and also had a home that she called Shangri-La in Hawaii. And it was a Moroccan-themed Hawaiian estate, which I really want to see what that looks like. <laughs> So, uh, anywho, so she had these, imagine these wild homes that she has, and uh, it would make sense to stop in LA from New York to Hawaii. So to have that home there was probably helpful for her. As she got older, she would stay at the Falcon Lair to recuperate from numerous elective surgeries that she had. And it kind of seemed like that she started to have elective surgeries and then medical surgeries. So things that she actually needed help with. Mm-hmm. At one point, she started to make some questionable decisions. She actually adopted a 35-year-old woman named Shandy Hefner. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Yep. So at this point in time, it's the 80s. And Doris adopts 35-year-old Shandy Hefner. And she later disinherits her fully, which I thought was super interesting because after uh, Doris's death, Shandy was still given $60 million. But that's neither here nor there. She actually changed her will repeatedly, like a lots, lots, lots of times. 
And she began to rely more on her butler, Bernard Lafferty, who was shitty dude number two. Uh, right. He was an orphan from Ireland and he was an alcoholic. He had a way of manipulating old women and he catered to them by using old world flair and giving them what they wanted. And between more surgeries and a series of strokes, Doris ended up being completely under Bernard Lafferty's control and uh. was bedridden permanently at the Falcon Lair. And unfortunately, her staff and medical team only seemed to care about her money instead of her well-being. Uh, and it gets worse. She was actually subject to elder abuse as well, uh, which is super, super sad because she was not in control of her situation at all. And during the last year of her life, Doris was kept in a twilight state at the Falcon Lair by her doctors and by Lafferty. Uh, and some shady shit seemed to have gone down the few months leading up to her death that no one talked about. Yeah, that's super shady. So she ended up dying at the Falcon Lair on October 28th, 1993. Uh, Bernard Lafferty was actually named executor of her $1.2 billion home. Damn. And it makes me think, like, was that one of the addendums to her will uh, that she did because right. he was taking care of her? Did he do it and say that she did it? It just makes me question it. Right. And the day of Doris's death, Bernard bought a $2,000 bag from Louis Vuitton on Rodeo Drive, specifically to carry her ashes to her beloved Shangri-La. I'm sorry, what? I'm wondering if that was in her will or if he just did that to be fancy and then like have a bag to keep afterwards. But that's just me. <sighs> Wow. So after that, he actually moved into the Falcon Lair. There were a lot of, um, there was a lot of back and forth on who was going to get what, especially yeah. because now Bernard was like in charge of everything. And right. he's really not the most reliable person to be in charge. Mm -hmm. He ended up sp uh, spending lavishly on physical things, clothes, furniture, and then mm -hmm. actually would go on trips with his famous friends. He was friends with Peggy Lee and Elizabeth Taylor. Shit. And they all went on trips together. Mm -hmm. And although an official investigation found that there was no foul play in regards to Doris's death, rumors were floating around about Bernard being involved with it. And huh. what's super frustrating is that after I did some digging... I found a New York Times article in 1995, and it was discovered that the night that Doris finally died, Bernard received a large shipment of drugs, and a private nurse alleged that Miss Duke died from a lethal overdose of morphine administered by her doctor rather than from natural causes. Oh. So this that private nurse that made this claim also said that Lafferty stated that, quote, Miss Duke is going to die tonight, the day before her death. Mm. That is some shady shit. That's shady so shit. What's kind of fucked up is that Bernard was never held responsible for this, sadly, but people still thought he was shady. And so because people thought he was shady, they tried to do something about the money that he had. And he was eventually pushed out as the executor of the state, but somehow retained a large personal fortune. Huh. And he also maintained the Falcon Lair. Even worse, though, this is so sad. This makes me real sad. I'm sorry I'm talking about sad stuff, but you know when it has to do with a dog, I get real sad. Yeah. He abused Doris's beloved 15-pound dog named oh, Rodeo. <laughs> she left the dog $100,000. What's a Bro, dog going to do with $100,000? For its care, though, I'm assuming, like, for vet bills, to have the best food. I mean, like, that's excessive, but, like... I she wanted to make sure the dog was taken care of, uh, pay for dog walkers, pay for, you know, a fancy bed. I don't know. Well, you know, unfortunately, because Bernard was the worst, uh, he kept that a hundred thousand dollars and he kicked the dog outside and the dog oh. apparently was brutally mauled by massive guard dogs that were on the property oh, multiple puppy. times. And one time he was injured so badly that he almost died. I have like multiple sad faces next to that. Just I'm making a sad face now. This is such so sad dog abuse. That's awful. And in November of 1996, Bernard died in his sleep at the Falcon Lair, all alone, age 51. Hmm. Really wish he had a more horrible death, but that's just... <laughs> 
Um, I'm sorry. It's not funny, but it's not funny. I'm sorry. That's kind of like messed up for me to say that. But at the same time, like he was such an awful person. He treated Doris terribly, took advantage of her, killed her, and then put her dog outside to be mauled. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Falcon Lair just has these like wild negative vibes. Like negative people seem to be drawn to it too, which is like you have the whole haunting vibe of it, but then you have all these negative things actually happening there, people dying there. Yeah. Shit's going on. So after his death, the land was sold off to multiple owners. The Falcon Lair was eventually demolished in 2006. So the property still exists today. Uh, Now the property has a three-bed, three-bath, 2,844-square-foot home on it. And the home is valued to be $4.95 million. Well, there you have it. So I say that we ask for so much money from Patreon (laughs) that you guys help us Mm -hmm. buy the Falcon Lair and make it our ghoulish tendencies quarantine home (laughs) so we can live there and record Those of you who donate $1 million can stay a weekend and hang out with (gasps) us because we're that cool. And do a ghost tour with us. Ooh, that'd be so fun. There you go. (laughs) but that is the story of the falcon lair it's a sad story there's some pretty fucked up shit that happened there it's fascinating though yeah i didn't even know about it and i'm from la i had no idea about any of this either i knew a little bit about it i knew about him and i knew about his kind of messed up life i didn't know much beyond that huh but i just think it's interesting that it has like the legends and lore of hollywood yeah it has ghost stories ish right it has debunking Right. And it has a crime. Like, mm-hmm. it's got a little bit of everything. Everything that we like in a Ghoulish Tendency story. All the things we like. All in thrown one. into one. So I hope you enjoyed that story of the Falcon Lair. Mm. Thank you very much, Gabby. You're welcome. And this brings us to... what you watching kim uh well as as those of you know at this point if you've been listening i am uh smack dab in the middle well not really i'm in the first like quarter of 100 (laughs) days of horror in fact today when we're recording this is not going to be released for another week uh, but today when we're recording, I am up to movie number. I count down from a hundred and I'm today was number 74. That means there are 74 days left. Uh, I will not recommend the movie that I watched for today. It was awful and I'm angry about it, but <laughs> I did watch. However, I am a, a very large fan. I might've talked about this before. I'm a big fan of Joe Bob Briggs mm-hmm. and Darcy the male girl, uh, Joe Bob Briggs, the last drive-in which is a, a show on Shudder now, but uh, he he is a horror host. He hosts horror films. And season two has wrapped already, but they did a slumber party on Friday. And I wrapped filming one of my teen horror films early. And so I was able to make it home in time to watch the double feature. And first we watched Slumber Party Massacre 2, which if you have never seen it, is a fucking delight. It's a ridiculous film. The Slumber Party Massacre series has always had a really soft place in my heart because they are women-written, women-directed, which in the 80s for slasher films was saying something that was not something you saw a whole lot. And they, do have, they do have this kind of like ridiculous feminist bent to them because they're, they're borderline, not borderline, they're meant to be kind of satirical and comedic. Mm-hmm. And then part two... This this girl who survived the first one, she's in a rock band, and uh, she keeps having these dreams of this, like, Danny Zuko-ish killer <laughs> oh, who no. sings and wears a leather jacket and has a, ki- a drill on his guitar, because the killer always has a drill. The original poster is beautiful because he holds his drill right at his crotch. Like, it's this really not subtle message. <laughs> and near the end of the film, he has, he gives this music number. And it's so brilliant and ridiculous. It is just, if you, in every sense of the word of like a ridiculous slasher film, if you were a fan of ridiculous slasher films, do yourself a favor, watch the Slumber Party Massacre films, particularly part two. 
because they're a good time. And then the second one was Victor Crowley, which uh, if you are a fan of the Hatchet series, it, it is a, a lot of fun. It was a, it was a good time. Uh, it again, these are these are films for people who like horror. Neither of these. Well, maybe Slumber Party Massacre because it's so silly. But um, if you're not a horror fan, this probably won't be up your alley. That being said, the second season of The Alienist has been running. Mm. And it's very good. I, I loved the first season. I'm partway through the second season now. I've been watching it on my DVR and it is, it is equally as good. And part of why I'm really enjoying it is that uh, Dakota Fanning, who I think is, is, does a, a wonderful job in, in the series, and they really up her role and if you like shows that kind of show criminal profiling, this is ooh, I love that criminal profiling in the eighteen late eighteen hundreds in New York City. I should watch um, that. That sounds it's, like it's up my alley. It, it's totally up your alley. It's the first season I absolutely adored. Second season, I, so far, I'm really digging. And I, there's also more female characters, which I'm also digging. This has become unintentionally feminist. I was not meaning to lean this heavily <laughs> into my feminism. Um, but I, I do, I appreciate women being represented. So, I mean, uh, I think everyone should appreciate equal representation. Equal. Am I right? Representation matters. So yes. that's some of what I've been watching. How about you? I really want to watch the alienist. I'm gonna have to add that to my list. Um, oh, add it. It's, 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 it's very, very good. Well, I actually have been watching a combination of trash TV in the background <laughs> of working on stuff because sometimes I just like to have noise in the background that I don't actually pay attention to. So I won't make those recommendations because I don't want to bore you. Uh, But I actually was recommended a show by my boyfriend and he never recommends anything horror to me ever because as you know by now, he hates it. He he is not the biggest fan. No, he likes comedy and Disney. And Muppets. Although the Muppet show on Disney Plus is legit. It's got like the Swedish chef and it's very funny. Yeah, it's great. Um, that's a recommendation, 100%. Um, but what I, show I was going to talk about is called Evil. And it's on CBS. And it's about a forensic psychologist who too is a woman. And she works in the court to help convict or not convict people of crimes and she ends up being partnered with a person that is studying to be a priest and he is trying to basically explain that certain crimes are influenced by possession by demon possession (laughs) and so basically saying that a handful of crimes were done through something possessing a person, that person blacking out, committing a bunch of murders. Um, And now that person is being charged for the murders, but doesn't remember anything. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the, the initial pilot was really interesting. And that's kind of like the premise of the pilot. So I won't like ruin anything for you, but what's really cool is that uh, the two characters that I'm explaining become a team and they have a person in addition to their team who I like to call Kim, uh, (laughs) <laughs> basically is Kim as a dude uh, who literally debunks everything, like nice. fully debunks, breaks everything down, nice. totally technical. It's like if Kim and Ghost Daddy were to have a baby as a character, it's this guy. Nice. And um, so he deals Ghost with Daddy, all Daddy, like, beware. Yes, right? But it's a really great show. It's really well written. There's um, some really intense scenes that have to do with sleep paralysis Mm. and shadow figures a uh-huh. particular shadow figure and i think it's funny that his name is george um but so there's like slight bits of comedy slipped into it but it's not really meant to be funny it's meant to be creepy but it happens to be funny depending on what your perspective is i think right um so i think if you have kim, a dark sick sense of humor we'd probably yes. find it funny yes and so kim i think you would love this show nice um i really enjoy it. i think we're on episode four now it came out last year but I'm just discovering it now. No, I, I've, it's one that I definitely had heard of and was kind of curious about, but I haven't gotten to yet because I haven't. <laughs> like some of it, like I think one of the more recent episodes, there were so many storylines going on in it and it was kind of a lot and I felt like it was a little overwrought, but for the most part, it's been pretty solid. Um, and each episode, they basically deal with a different paranormal type thing. And one mm-hmm. of the episodes is really funny because 
they actually have the guy who I'm calling Kim. They have him on a actual ghost show to debunk the ghosts. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's very funny. I don't think it's meant to be a comedy, though. I think it's just our like fucked up sense of humor thinking things are funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, highly recommend Evil. If you haven't seen it, I think it's great. And nice. uh, having said that, thank you so much for listening. If you have not subscribed, rated, or reviewed us, you can find us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. But if you would like to rate or review us on Apple Podcasts, we so appreciate it. We get um, a lot more exposure when people do write those reviews on there and do put ratings on there because I don't think Spotify really allows that type of review. No, I don't think so. Um, But you can still follow us on Spotify so that that way you can see when we have new episodes that come out. Yeah. We also have an Instagram account. It is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We like to post pictures of visuals of things that we talk about and, you know, fun stuff. Our website is ghoulishtendencies.com. All of our show notes, all of our references, every single episode is on there. Um, Thank you for your patience. If it ever goes down, sometimes it does from time to time, but we try to get that fixed as soon as possible. If you ever have a hard time listening on that website, you can always look us up on Transistor. That is always live as well. And we have a Facebook page page it is ghoulish tendencies podcast we have a patreon it is ghoulish tendencies podcast we are starting to add some pretty cool stuff to our patreon if you haven't become a part of our patreon stay tuned stay tuned you would like to receive little goodies in the mail stay tuned and um fun fact kim just made me the coolest ghoulish tendencies face mask. Uh So if that's something that you're interested in getting and you want to become one of our Patreon donors, maybe you too could receive a ghoulish tendencies face mask. So that way we can all be safe out there. Mm -hmm. We also have a Twitter account. It is ghoulish podcast. Having said that, Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. We appreciate all of you. If we didn't have you, we wouldn't have this podcast. So keep listening. Tell your friends. Give us a nice review. And stay spooky. (laughs) 